So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. Now, I know... I know you all watch this show for one reason and one reason only, because I'm an expert on international finance, macroeconomics, and money stuff. (laughs) I know all about the Dows, the Joneses, uh, uh, all the coins, bit, commemorative, chocolate, (laughs) carrot. And as a a market watcher, I've been a bit worried, because a lot of folks out there have been forecasting a, a coming recession. Well... Today, we've got some positive news, because in the last quarter of 2022, the GDP increased 2.9%, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Unexpected. Wow. Unexpected. Nobody saw that coming. We're all 2.9% richer, and I'm going to blow it on 2.9 eggs. <laughs> this means, despite all the worry, economic growth remains solid, which is a huge win for Joe Biden, because at his age, it's a welcome sign when something remains solid. <laughs> He's got bones like a sparrow. (laughs) This growth is all thanks to you, the American shopper, because it was fueled by consumer spending. Good job, you. Buying stuff is what America was built on. The only reason Washington... only reason Washington crossed the Delaware was to get to ye olde Nordstrom Rack (laughs) over in Trenton. That's a fact. You can look that up. In less pleasant news, yesterday, Facebook's parent company, Meta, said it will restore the former president's Facebook and Instagram accounts. Yeah, that's a punishment for all of us. (laughs) If you'll remember, back in 2021, the ex-president got kicked off of the platform for a Facebook violation known as trying to overthrow the U.S. government. (laughs) Officially, he was banned for two years. Well, two years are up. And Meta says he can come back because our determination is that the risk to public safety has sufficiently receded. The risk has receded because he's been gone. You know, between knife thrusts, Jack the Ripper is a pretty chill dude. So, give him the knife back. Give him back the knife. So they're saying the former president no longer poses a risk, but the man is still on social media spreading the same lies that got people killed. Two days ago, on Truth Social, he wrote, rigged and stolen election, I won Georgia by a lot, and Meta is letting him back. I'm glad they don't run probation hearings. So, uh, inmate 7214, uh, you say after 10 years of incarceration, you would do it again in a heartbeat? Um... (laughs) 
You're free to go. Here's the home address of everyone who's ever wronged you. And your chainsaw. We kept it oiled. Have fun. But have fun. There's the door. Go on. Keep the choke, keep the choke open when you're... But Meta insisted that this time will be different because they are putting new guardrails in place to deter repeat offenses. That's not going to work. Have they forgotten what the former president's supporters do with guardrails? <laughs> so what are these new rules? For starters, the ex-president will be required to follow Meta's updated community guidelines, which prohibit violence and incitement, fraud and deception, and hate speech. So all the former president's love languages. <laughs> plus, plus, Facebook says they'll be holding to a stricter standard than your average Joe Metaverse Whereas most users get as many as five strikes, a penalty for him would be triggered with just one. Even stricter, before the ex-president can post anything, he has to click all the boxes that contain Eric. <laughs> Doesn't even know, he can't do it. <laughs> can't do it. So he has to follow the rules, and there's no way he can use meta to sow misinformation, right? Wrong, because Meta says that since he's already declared his candidacy for president in 2024, he won't be subject to fact-checking. Meta, what are you thinking? You can't allow him to post conspiracy theories on Facebook? That's your mom's friend's job. (laughs) For the last time, Kathy, teenagers are not identifying as gerbils and demanding taxpayer-funded wood chips. (laughs) This is just Meta giving in to the president's, uh, ex-president's pressure campaign. With the two-year ban set to expire, his team recently asked Meta to reinstate him on Facebook, and when they did, he responded on Truth Social saying, Facebook, which has lost billions of dollars in value since deplatforming your favorite president, me, has just announced that they are reinstating my account. He begged them to bring him back, and now he's dragging them to hell. He's like an ex-boyfriend saying, I'm nothing without you, baby. Please take me back. You will? Look at this pathetic loser bringing back her favorite boyfriend, me. You can lose a few pounds. Hippie. Bigger social media platform is exactly what the president's uh, ex-president is hoping for, considering he reportedly doesn't want to renew the exclusivity agreement he has with Truth Social, which could just be why he posted, thank you to Truth Social for doing such an incredible job. Your growth is outstanding and future unlimited. He is so out of there. (laughs) That's as ominous as getting this card from your dad. Happy birthday, Carson. You and your mom are going to achieve such great things. Just stepping out for a pack of smokes. Don't wait up. Your future is unlimited. Are there... Any George Santos fans here? That was a roller coaster of emotion. <laughs> One of the many unanswered questions about George Santos is how he, who had no money, was able to loan over $700,000 to his own campaign. In his previous election filing, Santos had ticked the box, indicating that this money was from personal funds of the candidate. But on Tuesday, his campaign updated the filing, and that box is now unchecked. So now we have no idea where he got the cash from. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Damn you, Santos! 
this little discrepancy is a big old deal because saying this was neither his money nor a personal loan or line of credit would almost certainly mean the contribution is illegal. It also doesn't help that he checked the box, I heart crime. <laughs> Yesterday, Santos was confronted by reporters about the changes, and he said this. Let's make it very clear. I don't amend anything. I don't touch any of my FEC stuff, right? So don't be disingenuous and report that I did, because you know that every campaign hires fiduciaries. That's right. He's not a fiduciary. He's just a fiduciary. So... So fair enough, he didn't fill out his own forms, but it turns out yesterday he changed his actual fiduciary, saying he hired a treasurer named Thomas Datweiler. But when reporters checked with Datweiler, Datweiler said the forms listing him as Santos's new treasurer were signed under his name without his consent. So, what's going on? Either Datweiler did sign the papers, and he doesn't remember, or a man who was wanted for forging checks forged a document. Hmm. Um... I'll take door number two. Oh, Johnny, tell me what I've won. Two more weeks of George Santos jokes. And this beautiful dinette set from Broy Hill. Broy Hill. All the furniture we make is given away on game shows. Back to you, Steve. Thanks, Johnny. Santos is already in trouble with the FEC. Campaigns are legally required to keep receipts for anything $200 or above. And his campaign repeatedly reported expenses of exactly $199.99. Nothing suspicious there. Maybe he just shops at the $199.99 store. They got it's great bargains. Tuba Crest, shampoo. Most notably, of the 40, yes, 40 times Santos's campaign reported spending $199.99. Eight of them were at an Italian restaurant in Queens. Maybe he just ordered the same dish every time. Fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> well, you like that? Who likes that? Who liked that? I like that. Who liked that? I like that. You like that? I like you Pretty too. Funny. While running for office, Santos was also working for an alleged Ponzi scheme, and he would wine and dine potential investors at that same Italian restaurant in Queens. One victim described her experience, I felt like we were in Goodfellas. In fact, I'm being told, is this true? We actually have footage of Santos entering the restaurant. George. Anthony DeVolder. Hey, Zabrowski. Guitarra Ravage. Hey, it's Hannah Montana. We got a great show for you tonight. Coming up. CNN's Ari Cornish. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Folks, my next 
guest spent 10 years as the host of NPR's All Things Considered. Now she's a CNN anchor and correspondent. Please welcome to The Late Show, Audie Cornish. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, I mean, I certainly, I certainly know your voice. I, you know, listen to All Things Considered. You were over there for 10 years. Now you're on CNN. What does it feel like for you to be the person being interviewed after doing all those interviews all those years? Do you like being on this side? Um... Uh, no, I don't like the attention at all, so not really. <laughs> wow. uh, but it is nice to not be in control of the conversation, so to speak. Like, you have to do all the work. And I no, you have to do here. all the work. You do, you no, have no, to do no, all no, the work. No, 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 no. You know what I'm talking about. So you have to think in your mind, like, where should we start? What kind of mood is the person in? Like, you came and gave me a handshake to yes. get a feel for me. And then yes. you decide what to ask, and then how do they respond? And you start sort of moving the conversation along in your mind, and this sounds really weird now that I'm saying it. Like, I just, I do, I, I do know out, how I to just, talk to people. I just shook I just, your just, hand to say hi. I wasn't trying uh, to get a feel for you. <laughs> I'm not always gaming the situation like you are, Audie Cornish. That's true. You just revealed a lot about yourself, I did, I did. <laughs> okay, what, what about... I was like a handshake, that's bold, <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the news for a second. Yes. What do you make of the fact that the former president has been reinstated on on, on Facebook and Instagram. And as a quick follow-up, uh, Ms. Cornish, um, when he was president, one of the things that was most chilling to me right here when I realized he had been elected on election night was that that insatiable ego would constantly be fed now because anything the president done, does is important enough yeah. to be reported all around the world. Uh, when he goes back on Facebook and Instagram, is everything he's going to do be newsworthy? No, and I think we've all learned a really incredible lesson from the last couple of years. And by we, I mean the media, right? Mm -hmm. I think before sort of the rules, so to speak, of Washington journalism was that if the leader of the free world speaks in whatever capacity, you're supposed to note that and share that and have that discussion. And when that started to happen at all hours, uh, kind of at random, sometimes with policy, it was, I think, confusing. People did not know how to prioritize the information, and clearly the social media companies did not know how to either encourage it or police it. And what's Nor did the supporters yeah. of the president or members of administration differentiate what was official and what wasn't. Sometimes well, they, they would they say couldn't. it was, and sometimes they would say well, it wasn't. Well, because then they would actually have to turn around and kind of... Um, Backfill, right? The mm -hmm. president has just announced this policy. Now you're getting a bunch of phone calls, uh, and you've got to say, oh, yeah, uh, this is something we've been working on, you know? And I think that's not a great way to lead uh, and mm -hmm. confusing mm -hmm. to the public. And for social media companies, they did not embrace the responsibility they had um, in, in managing that process, because I think they had all hoped it would just be kind of cat pictures and, you know, whatever. You, you like, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't take it seriously. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, they realized they were public infrastructure and they had no interest in public policy. And so now, even today, this announcement by Nick Clegg, who, you know, used to be UK Deputy Prime Minister, it's about having a policy. They now at least have some rules of the road about mm. what's okay, what's not okay, when do you kick someone off, mm. and do you ever let them back on? And that's a good thing. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Audie Cornish, everybody. Stick around. Hey, everybody, we're back here with the host of the podcast, The Assignment, 
Also, from our dear friends at CNN, Audie Cornish. Well, let's talk about people who don't care about public policy. George Santos is <laughs> in Congress. And you covered Capitol Hill for years before I you did. were an anchor, I, I understand. Did. Well, uh, it's he's a gift for, you know, people in late light, you know, the goof-ups like me who get to make jokes every night about him. But what about serious news folks like you? What, what do you make of what, do, what does this say about our politics that not only he got elected with all this baggage, but he's going to stay in, it looks like? Yes, there, there is no real recall mechanism in terms of New York state law, so everyone has got to wait. And, and frankly, it's fascinating to me that the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, was just sort of like, welp. The voters will have to take care of it, knowing mm. full well that's in another two years. Um, I think that there's, he's a fascinating, he's sort of the logical conclusion of the end of shame politically, right? Mm. And, mm -hmm. and I say, I'm kind of obsessed with this idea. Mm -hmm. Like, it, one of the things that was fascinating about being a political reporter is there was always this potential for like the gaff. You know, someone might say something vaguely inappropriate or maybe they'd be caught in a lie. You know, quaint things like that now that we don't really take as seriously. And the, the way it was supposed to work is like we, the journalists, are like, hey, do you hear what that person just said? Yes. And then there was supposed to be a public outcry reaction. Right. That was supposed to trigger a chain of accountability, mm -hmm. whether formal or just kind of saying, I should step down because mm -hmm. I've been caught doing X. Mm -hmm. And I think the last couple of years have taught everyone, write it out. Just like tweet through it. Just keep saying, like calling the media liars, saying it's about your enemies. There is a playbook for this that has been fairly successful. And now you're seeing it like in this moment. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Where someone, no matter what lie they're caught in, they know that maybe you just don't have to do anything at all. And I think that's something that we really have to wrestle with going forward in the media. It's fun to make jokes about this person. It is. It is. It's, <laughs> I, I totally get it. Yeah, I fact check um, that. But, you know, where, where did their money come from? Yeah. You know, uh, what loans do they owe? Who's going to want influence with them? And will what, they have access to classified material? Will they have material? access to classified material? Will they take it home and store it in their garage? <laughs> I mean, who among us has not, at this point, had... You should check your garage, Audie Cornish. <laughs> I, I, well, I now, but before we go, you have a new podcast called The Assignment. I do. And I one do. of the things interesting to me about this is that you actually, you ask your listeners for ideas for what stories you should be covering, the people you should be talking to, have you discovered a gap between what you think they're going to want and what they actually want? What have you learned from the suggestions you've gotten from your audience? I mean, it's pretty wild. The point of the show is to, instead of you and I being in this seat, right, you're mm -hmm. a kind of gatekeeper here, and then I'm in this, like, strange celebrity scenario... Um, we are in a world where everybody is part of the story, right? Mm -hmm. Like TikTok, you can get your news. You get on your Facebook feed and you're seeing a mix of things. They're all, we're driving the story. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to put a re regular people in this chair and talk to them the way you're talking to mm -hmm. me. Who are you? What do you do? What motivates you? And how are you trying to add to what's going on in the world? So we've talked to, you know, gender-affirming care doctors, pediatricians about the death threats and the things that they've experienced. We've talked to OnlyFans creators. How do you fall into this weird space between sex work and the attention economy? Um, and I think that 
people as as a result have like kind of sent in a mixed bag of ideas. Mm -hmm. Someone sent in an idea about, um, they said, well, I do a sex puppet show out here in Arizona. And I think, <laughs> and I think it would be really great, you know, to talk about. <laughs> sure. And I, exactly. And sure. I was like, yes, sure. I'm like, there's probably a whole thing I think piece I can do about modern puppetry in the sex economy. Um, that but, is a thing. Yeah, a think piece if I've ever heard one. That's a thing. Uh, Good show. Did you, did you check out the puppet show? <laughs> we were not able to. Um, <laughs> weren't able to make Damn it. it. Um, yeah, and then a lot please of... Please come on The Late yeah, Show. They are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Her podcast is The Assignment. It's Audie Cornish, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.